Don needs a moment of silence. <laughs> that's that's <Wow>. not silence. <laughs> this you hit this is not silence. <laughs> Fresh coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the Boil Dow Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> ah, there's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. <laughs> I'm Don. Hey, I'm Don. Sam. <laughs> Don, how are you, buddy? I'm doing well. I'm I'm over here recovering just as hard as I possibly can. Hey, you got to beat a sweat form in there. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why I'm sweating. It's because of the ab workout you're getting from laughing. <laughs> there has been a rash of owl attacks in Greensboro. Say it isn't so. Yeah, it's true. Uh, WFMY TV 2 had this report from Ooh. a homeowner, a jogger, was attacked by an owl. Well, that's because it was a jogger. They deserved it. She said, Then the second time after it tried to grab me, a second time I was able to get a better view of it, and I was pretty certain it was an owl. i definitely say it was painful. It pulled my hair out of my ponytail. I had some superficial <laughs> scratches on my scalp. It was definitely painful. There were red marks on my scalp. <laughs> That, that, so you, you really got to watch it when that owl comes swooping around in here. We're running a dangerous show here. Sam. We are. Well, you know, working with wildlife is always risky. <laughs> children, too. <laughs> well, thank goodness we don't have any children in here. Yeah, yeah, really. Except for, well, yours truly. Why are you looking at me so funny? <laughs> We have a guest. We do have a guest. Hi, guest. Who are you? Hi, guys. I'm Scott S. Thanks hey, for having me. Scott, so glad Scott. you're here, man. Yeah, this is a treat. <laughs> uh, tell me, when did you get sober? Um, my sprite date is July the 3rd of 2002. Uh, 2002? That's it. Yeah. And where did you get sober? I got sober at Fellowship Hall, as a matter of fact. Oh, right here in Greensboro. Right here in Greensboro, North Carolina. But I spent the first number of years out uh, on the left coast, um, so I got a you know I got a good smattering of recovery. I, I really, the first two years I was in Los Angeles, and then I spent a couple of years in Memphis, Tennessee, and then made my way back here where I have kids. So all after two thousand two. All after two thousand. I got sober in July, and I moved out to Los Angeles. I always tell you not to do big drastic things in your first. <laughs> and we always year. and do. I did everything. <laughs> I changed. I got. I went through a divorce. I. Uh, I moved, I changed my business, I, um, yeah, so it was uh, terrifying, yet um, I, 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 a valuable and grace-filled period in my recovery. Yeah, that's surprising. I didn't know, know that you got sober in Greensboro. I did. Because I, I only got to know you after you'd moved back, so I That's thought right. you were a transplant. Exactly, yeah. So I, uh, I grew up in Memphis, but I, I lived out in Los Angeles for about 20 years, and I moved here in 99 with my family and uh, spiraled out of control, got sober in uh, 02 at the hall, and then I went back out to Los Angeles for a couple of years, and uh, my family was here 
for that mm-hmm. entire period. And I just, that was part of my story was trying to get back uh, to be close to my kids. I had three small kids. Wow. And why did you move? Well, uh, I was in the entertainment business, Don. Mm-hmm. Can you not tell? By my <laughs> I, uh, and I uh, went to school in, in uh, Knoxville and I moved out to Los Angeles after college and, um, was uh, an actor for many years mm-hmm. and had uh, got married and had three small kids out there. Three small kids. They were all small. At they're the really time, sp- they were born. When, when born, they come out, they're funny. small. Yeah. It's weird how small I was they born are. at a very young age myself. You, you <laughs> as well, yeah. So you guys are familiar with that. Uh, but yeah, so we, we moved here when they were very young and uh, just was ready to get out of that crazy business. I didn't want to raise three, three kids out in Los Angeles. wanted to raise them in the South. And my uh, wife at the time was um, had family in here in the Greensboro area, kind of like actually it was Lake Norman area. So we want to be closer to family, and that's what brought us here. But apparently, I didn't do well with that move because uh, my my drinking really accelerated, and my using and I just started kind of uh-huh. losing control. So right. I went to the hall. On you know, I had a back problem. Had a lot of people on my back, and my wife and an employer, <laughs> and, and I I back thought problem. that was a good uh, solution was to go and get thirty days. It was covered by insurance, and I thought I'll just you know kind of get a little R and R. Remember calling and asking if they had movie night and if they had a swimming pool, <laughs> and they said yeah, you know. And, I, and you I, were looking for the rest and relaxation. That's what I thought. Yes, yeah. it was not, not the from, recovery aspect. Exactly. Knew there was no about real it. desire to quit either. Was not there? at that point. Yeah. No, no. And so that, uh, but after thirty days in there and taking a really good hard look at myself, uh, I got some willingness. I, you know, the willingness actually came as I was standing there looking at the mirror, you know, and, and I'm 40 years old and I had my birthday in there, turned 40. And I thought, what has happened to my life? You know? So wow. that was that moment of, um, surrender and grace, just realizing that this is, this is a bad place. So I, I'm very grateful that I had that willingness at that point. And, and so, you know, I, I really give a lot of credit to fellowship hall. And then I stayed there for another 30 days afterwards that they had a recovery house out there. I know they have mm-hmm. one now, but this was one that, your um, attitude about about it changed. It really while did while I was in there, yeah. and and I know not everybody has that experience, but that was mine. I think it just kind of caught up with me, you know. And I had a uh, a time to kind of be still, and and it it just dawned on me that you know I, I needed some help, and I and I was in the right place. And I, I I'm glad I also decided to stay longer. Again, that wasn't all my choice. I <laughs> my wife at the time was not wanting me to come home. I didn't know what else to do. So I said, I'll just stay. I'll stay at the halfway house until, you know, she allows me to come home. And that was she another. She was done with She you. was done. She was done. And you're right. That, I look back on it, and although at the time it didn't feel that way, but those were all, you know, those were blessings. Her just saying, you know, just maybe you ought to take another 30 days and think about it. By that time, she didn't want me back at the house. The locks were changed. She'd repainted the joint. And uh, wow. I knew it was time. I had to figure it out. And I went back out to Los Angeles where a friend of mine um, was actually a producer on a show. And he said, you come out here. We'll put you to work. And and I slept on a lot of friends' couches for about a year. You know, did wow. some house sitting and dog sitting and cat sitting and and spent about a year and a half out there working on the show. That and must have been scary leaving Fellowship Hall. Uh, with yeah. You know, uh, I remember that night before you leave, you say your goodbyes in front of a group and during a group 
you, I don't know if you guys, they rub in stuff. I, they, I, they hand you a coin. Okay, you completed yeah. your treatment. And uh, you, you pass the coin around the room to all the folks. And they rub in something like they rub in, you know, courage. And they rub mm-hmm. out cravings or whatever it was. And I remember at that session, I felt incredibly emotional. I just felt this wave of emotion. And um, what, I think that's... What was that emotion? Part fear and part... Uh, maybe just an, an, an overwhelming feeling that, you know, that again, I, I, that I was doing the right thing and, and, and that I knew life was never going to be the same again. And it was uh, a lot of grace in that moment, but just a lot of emotions, as they say, you know, you, the good news, you get your feelings back, the bad news, you get your feelings back. And after about a month of that, you know, taking all the, the drugs and alcohols out of my system, I know that emotionally I was very very vulnerable. I felt very vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just, I'm thinking about that because that was a, a great jumping off point for me. I would have to say, I remember there was a guy coming in the next day. He was an older gentleman who had been to the hall a few years earlier. And I got up to speak and say goodbye to everybody. And I was telling everybody to take care of this guy because he was back for a second time and he really wanted to get it. And I think um, all that can kind of you know, created this sense of uh, I'm grateful, um, I'm, I'm afraid, but uh, um, I, I know I'm in the right place and that leaving here, I've got a foundation now to build on. So that was, I, I'm, I'm having those feelings again. I can kind of remember that. Uh huh. Yeah. I'm getting chill bumps just yeah. thinking oh, about it and listening yes, to was, you about it. It was a crazy time. Yeah. Early recovery, you know, we've all. Grief. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I had to write a letter to my mistress, cocaine, you know, uh-huh. say goodbye oh. to her. Yeah. Say goodbye to al- grief over a, a lifestyle, grief over, you know, all, all those things that we grieve. And then the, the we, last guy that I told that I had quit drinking, it was one of my drinking buddies and for years. And I didn't want to tell him that I quit drinking, really. But he called me up and I was going, OK, well, I'm going to have to tell him because I'm not was going to meetings and I guess I'd been sober now for a month. And I went and told that guy that I quit drinking. I was going to AA. I couldn't do it. And he just went like, well, that's good. And he didn't want to talk about it, of yeah. course. Yeah. And I went back home and I burst into, into tears. Yeah. I was going like, what, what is this about? And it was like the last nail in the coffin. I'm really doing this. I'm really going to, give it up so it was like i like this idea of writing a letter well, they also yeah and you're saying some stuff i remember they they made us call our dealer how about that Ooh. from the payphone right down there at fellowship hall and make a call and say just i want to let you know i'm in recovery and i, I really would appreciate if you allow me to you know get my get my stuff together and i thought wow that was pretty crazy you know yeah. i had to call and tell that it was actually a woman who i used to my stuff from so i had to call her and just tell her, her how'd that feel was it a was it a, a voice-to-voice conversation or a voicemail well no it was a voice-to-voice conversation and i gotta admit this is a crazy i think about this now after uh, about a month after that i called her again because i was starting to think about uh relapse you know and i wanted to reach out and see see if she was still around you know mm-hmm. and uh and it did go to her voicemail and she never returned my call so she kind of even Honored my wishes. Even she respected it. Yeah. You know. And I remember why am I doing this? I knew why. You know, we we started yeah. laying those seeds early on. Yeah. And I reached out to her again, you know, a month or so after that. And uh, she didn't return my call. And I thought, wow. Later on, I realized she had done me a, a solid. Yeah, totally. leaving me alone. Totally. <laughs> 
So you got sober. Mm -hmm. You got settled in sobriety. And then you moved to the, to LA. Yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. One of the first, what was was the difference? Well, you didn't have any meetings to compare it to. You're exactly right. To me, I would consider, um, my West coast experience as my early recovery because I really didn't get, um, grounded here. I didn't have a sponsor. I I wasn't even Mm -hmm. here that long, you know? So, uh, yeah, that when I went out there, I remember the first meeting I went to, they had a vending machine that you could purchase your <laughs> your AA schedules for, uh, on because it was about the size of a small phone. Oh book. yeah, they are they are they yeah. yeah. So you had to it's pay for book. them. It was a dollar in quarters and you the thing and they it dropped book. the book and it was it was broken out by communities because you know Los Angeles has a number of different you know, communities. And it had all those. And I kept that for a long time. I don't have it anymore. Kind of wish I had, but so I knew I, it wasn't for the lack of meetings that, that I was going to, you know, relapse <laughs> no. if I ever did. And Although I just, I imagine you could easily hide in those, that many meetings. That's true. I mean, not let yourself be known. So you- I, I kind of got grounded in a couple of ones that I, uh-huh. I connected. And uh, this is pretty funny. There was a meeting and I, I hope it's still there that was at the screen actors guild. And I was a member of the union. And so they had on Friday nights, they had a meeting called Take 12. <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> Come on, work with me, people. And so they, they, it was a bunch of actors or wannabe actors or people who were members of the union. So on Friday nights, I went to the Screen Actors Guild and there was an AA meeting. And it was at that meeting that I look up and there was a guy that used to be my bartender, a bartender out there in Los Angeles for years. I hadn't seen him in many years. And he came up to me and kind of gave me that knowing grin. And I said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, good. He said, how long have you been sober? I said, oh, about two months. He goes, really, you got a sponsor? And I said, I don't. He goes, when do you want to get started? Awesome. And he was my sponsor. And to this day is still, I think of him as my sponsor. Yeah. You know? And so James L. is his name. And um, he saved my butt. He really did. And he just, he held on to me out there because I was going through a lot of other stuff as well. It wasn't just early recovery, but it was going through a divorce and separation from my family and, and you know, rethinking my career and what am I doing? Oh, she really was done with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There was no. And, and I, that dawned on me when I came back after my first uh, visit home and the rings were off the finger and uh, mm-hmm. and yeah. And that was shocking because I kept thinking there was going to be, you know, another opportunity. Mm hmm. But I was told, you know, job, no job, wife, no wife, whatever it is, you can get through this thing. And I'm glad I was told that because Mm -hmm. I wanted that second chance. And I think, you know, I I wanted to get good because I felt a lot of shame around. And and a lot of it was around the the drug use because she had no knowledge of the drug use until Uh I got sober. And then Uh I came clean on that. And um, my hope was that I was going to get another chance, but I think she, and you know, we forget the damage we did, you know, now I'm feeling great. And it's like, what? Let's, you know, and she, grand, the wind stopped blowing. Yeah, Mm. exactly. And she was, she was done. She was done. And, and again, and at the time it, it, it didn't feel right and good, but looking back on it, that's the only way I would have been able to get this thing. If I, you know what I mean? I had to go Mm. through that. That was the journey I was on. Yeah. I would imagine though that, that that would be incredibly painful and would be a really good reason to start drinking again. Yeah. So uh, why didn't you? I think it, it was also a great reason to stay sober, you know, because I think there was um, hope 
that, that maybe the, the, the marriage would reconcile. And I certainly wanted to be um, the right dad for my kids. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're absolutely right. I, I didn't have the accountability out in Los Angeles. Nobody knew I was sober out there. You know, I could easily done what I wanted to do. But there was something very deep inside me that was aching that knew that um, it wasn't going to help if I started drinking and using again. And, and I will tell you this, this may be the easier answer is as part of our separation agreement, she had the right to, to ask for a urine sample and I had to go within a certain number of hours on, on the fly. She would send me, it was actually your attorney. I agreed to do this. So this was mm-hmm. my own self-imposed accountability, but she could call and say, I want a urine sample. And I would have to get that urine sample certainly by that day, and the results had to be sent back to Greensboro from Los Angeles. So there was definitely, and wow. I, um, I probably certainly didn't have to do that, but I, I wanted to do that. It was yeah. necessary for me to prove that I was, you know, doing the right stuff. So, but yeah, I, I didn't mention that. That's certainly <laughs> one good reason to stay sober is I wanted to have a relationship with my kids, and you know, if there was reconciliation on the board, then I wanted that to be an opportunity. So. Yeah. I'm a little curious. You so you said you got uh, you got sober at 40, mm-hmm. and uh, was that your first attempt? I mean, you you got a good 20, 25 years of drinking and drugging yeah. in there. I would assume. You know what do they call them? One hit wonders. I, I don't think of myself that way, but um, I, I believe that all those consequences were uh, a great reason, and, and they were you know were just enough to keep me sober. Yeah, I don't know how that happens, guys. You know those of you or. I don't know if you're chronic relapsers. I know there's relapse in a lot of people's story. It just wasn't part of my story for uh, for the reasons I think I just explained. Just were mm-hmm. kids involved, and there was a lot of emotional um, pain there. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I didn't. I, I and I um, and a little accountability by the court system gotcha. as well. So, you know, uh, but up until age forty, I had it not, just had not been enough of a problem, if if a problem at all. Yeah, uh, it was a problem towards the end, but no, I I did, did not. Did you try drink. to control it? Yeah, oh yeah, I did all the stuff that they tell us. We you know or talk about in the big book. Sure, I did the old you know because what I say, I, I haven't relapsed since I came to AA, but. I definitely oh, yes. relapsed before I came oh, to yeah. AA oh, sure. because I continually said, okay, I'm going to control this. And I learned that I'm going to fail every time I yeah. try to control yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I, I got to tell you the one story that I do share is yeah, all the stuff that we do. You know, I used to be able to keep a really pretty bar, you know, and just it got to the point where that was just not possible anymore. <laughs> and I was, I was definitely the guy. I was drinking the cooking sherry at the end. But the, mm. one of the things that – I, I share it because it, it's memorable for people. Is that my wife used to like to make bananas foster, which required rum, and she kept a rum above the uh, the, the refrigerator. And at the end, I was just I was drinking the rum, you know. And I would marry it back with a little bit of Coca Cola and water <laughs> until I remembered to buy a new bottle of rum, right? And I would remember, and I'd bring back the bottle, and of course, I'd drink it down to where it was before. And, <laughs> So we, well, you, you gotta, know, you gotta be yeah, I mean, right. it was I mean, very, I mean, I was thorough. obsessed to think about the <laughs> amount of work we do. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> sure enough, we had company one night and I stood by her while she was at the kitchen uh, stove trying to light that damn Coke and water. And it just wasn't going to light. And I didn't have the heart to tell her, but she goes, I don't know what in the world. And she was trying to light that Coke and water. Cause I'd forgotten to marry back that. that <laughs> so, I mean, that's what we get, right? Those stories. And I, I was the guy who was hiding the, Hiding the booze, hiding the, mm-hmm. the bottles of beer and whatever else I was drinking. So, yeah. Well, okay. you've got you've got 16 years in recovery now. I do. I'm, 
I'm blessed. 16 years this last summer. So what uh, what is recovery like for you now? You know, so so many times whenever I go hear a speaker, you know, I hear so much of the drunkalog, and then they get yeah. sober five minutes before the talk ends. Yeah, yeah. What, what's your what's your sobriety like? What's you know, I uh, gosh, just abundance of gratitude, and and I I've remarried, and I have two stepkids, and now all these kids that were itty bitty kids when I left are now um, in college and. One of them's actually moved out to Los Angeles, and she's working in the entertainment business like her old man did. Do, do you she have a good relationship with and him? And I have this fantastic relationship. I have just so much to be grateful for. And that is, boy, without a doubt, the uh, litmus test for, for, for me is um, you know looking at the way it was and, and, and what it's like now. Uh, I will say we all talk about taking action. We all talk about being of service. I, I say the third-step prayer uh, more than I do the serenity prayer, which is just, you know, just, I, I ask to be of service a lot because I don't know what else to pray for. I, you know, I don't pray for things for me because I think we all know when I get what I want, that's, uh, that's never that good. But <laughs> if I can just ask God to, to direct my thinking and to let me be of service today to others, um, I find that works for me. You know, I know mm-hmm. we all listen to that and kind of go, that's a little kumbaya for me. But the truth is, it, it, it is no, no. It God, is a, good orderly direction. It's mm-hmm. what it what keeps me grounded in this thing. You know, is when I'm self-absorbed, which is most of the time, I have to allow myself to be quiet and calm because my thinking is whacked. You know, we all know. I, I wake up with that crazy brain. You know, like a satellite TV. You know, my my brain is all over the place. But once I calm down, I just say, just you know, direct. Help me direct my my thinking today. Remove some of that fear. And just let me be of service. And, and I have found that that works. I, mm-hmm. It doesn't work immediately, but when I look back on the day, I realize, well, things changed and turned out okay, you know, because I, I just, uh, absorbed with Scott is, is a scary, scary place for me, you know, so. So what, in working the steps, when you came in, share with us something that uh, was pivotal well, for you. Well, I'm the guy who made that, you know, ninth step too early to my, <laughs> to my oh. then- then wife, we were going through a divorce, which and is I, making amends. I, I'm making the amends. I, uh, I, I'm not the first guy, I'm sure, but I remember sharing it in a meeting, and all the old timers are shaking their head at me. <laughs> but I, I wanted to make things right. You know, I wanted to get good. I, yeah. I had felt like I had um, seemed like a the bad thing to guy. do. Huh? Yeah. So I reached out to her, and I remember I pulled the old. You know, I, I made my amends. I said, you know, I, I definitely failed you as a husband, and I failed these kids. And uh, and then I should stop. But guess what I said? But. <laughs> but. <laughs> it's that darn but that got me in trouble because I started pointing out some of the stuff that I felt mm. she had done. So I remember uh, having to backtrack on that, and I went to a, to a meeting that, that evening and uh, shared that with the group, and they were just a lot of head shaking going, <laughs> call your sponsor, buddy. So Keep coming you, back. Did you call your sponsor before you made that Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no. I'm going to fix this thing. <laughs> I was trying to fix it. You know, I was oh, trying to get Lord. good. I, I was a guy also who, uh, when I hit my bottom, I was kind of, overweight and bloated and what i really want to do is just look good again so i lost a bunch of weight and i you know i whitened my teeth and i waxed my back you know i wanted to look good i wanted to look like i was fixed yeah and i remember my sponsor looking at me saying you know you look pretty good buddy everything's looking good let's maybe it's time to start working on the inside Mm. so i had to do some of that inside work you know but so what did that involve yeah i i had to look at my relationships with um you know, all the people in my life, not just that, that, 
that wife, you know, I had to really start doing some work on why is it I am the way I am, you know, what, mm-hmm. what causes me to, you know, I grew up in a, in a family and there's no alcoholism to speak of. I don't have the excuses of a fucked up family. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I, my dad and mom were great and good parents and provided well and had all the benefits. But, um, you know, we were a reactionary family. I was the guy, you know, we sat at the dinner table and would yell and scream and by dessert we're laughing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was normal. And just that crazy reaction to everything, overreaction. Overreaction, just real emotional. Really out- hyper mm-hmm. uh, emotional people. And we thought that was a you know characteristic of a, of a really loving, fun, neat family. But it dawned on me after I got married and, and certainly in recovery that um, that's just not a, a really healthy way of looking at, you know, relationships and mm-hmm. your family and stuff. Mm-hmm. But that, that was part of it. And just looking at my, my past and my behavior and really my, you know, starting to get a good look at my thinking, which is scarred in many different ways that I didn't realize, but not, you know, I, I had, I was the classic insecure. I was a performer. So, you know, I got that immediate gratification of either laughter or, um, yeah. uh, you know, lo- I loved being in front of people. I, I tried to be the life of the party a lot. Yeah. That was my MO, but I was also tremendously insecure. So that insecure egomaniac, you know, wanting to be a performer, yeah. uh, loving adulation. And of course an actor, what better way? And I was, one of these guys, I didn't, you know, I, I made a living in it for many years, but I did lots of little things that would show up on TV just enough to have people say, hey, it was, I saw you last night on TV. And my line was, really, what was I doing? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was so cheesy. It's like, what show? Tell me, tell me, tell me what you saw me on. <laughs> oh, tell me more about I, me. Yeah, t- t- yeah, and enough of me talking about me. You talk about me for one. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we are, you know? Oh, so uh, I'm... Uh, well, that's, re- you know, an actor is, makes it a little difficult because, I mean, I've got a lot of that. And there's an element of playing a role all the time and ending up... In fact, when I first got sober, you know, people will say when they share again, they'll say, like, I'm still Don, I'm an alcoholic. And I heard people saying that, and I didn't know what to still... They would say, I'm still Will, I'm an alcoholic. And I was going... <laughs> and I was going... Oh, I can still be me and be an alcoholic. That's the way I took it. Interesting. Because I didn't believe I could. I mean, who am I? I I just had, if I exercise my demons, all my angels will leave too, is a Tom Waits song. And I felt like I'm, you know, I'm going to, who, who the hell is Don if I can't be this guy that I played all the time? And I was really realized I was playing this outrageous character. In fact, I, I did it so much that a group of my friends had a Halloween party that I wasn't invited to, and one of them went as me. And, <laughs> when you become a Halloween character, yeah, that's a good like, time to stop and take a look. I could be a character. Caricatured. <laughs> oh my I goodness! I love that. That's funny, Don. I need to meet this friend. But, but I identify. <laughs> I identify yeah. with all that. My worry was, you know, who am I now if I'm not all these, you know, fun, gregarious characters? Who, will I, will I be the hole in the donut? Yeah, was that line yeah. in our book? Yeah. yeah. How can I be authentic? Yep, is really the problem. And I never was. And I never was. Yeah, that's that was me. I mean, so I always said that I was an actor. Uh, I was not an actor, but but I always said that I was an actor that I could fit in anywhere for a given amount of time. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, others refer to that as being a chameleon. And, and that has been my experience from childhood that I could fit into any situation, any group of people for the most part for a depend, you know, depending on the group for an amount, a certain amount of time. It might be 10 minutes. It might be yeah. five hours, Yeah, but it wasn't me. Mm-hmm. I remember early in recovery, uh, I didn't know how to share, you know, I always am fascinated with these people who, you know, two weeks in and they, they feel like they got something to share. <laughs> I couldn't talk. I really couldn't, you know, and, and for someone like me not to be able to really speak. And when I did, I could hear my, my voice quiver, you know, that, that quaver, that whatever nervousness. it is. Yeah, yeah. I was just nervous. And I remember saying to my sponsor, I said, I just, I don't, I don't know how to share, man. I just don't know what to say. I don't know. I feel like I've got to prepare it. You know, I've got like mm-hmm. this thing coming in today. I was really at ease because I thought, I, I don't know what we're talking about, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, but I couldn't share. And I remember him saying to me, he goes, no, it's not that you can't share, Scott. It's just, you don't know how to be honest yet. <laughs> Ooh, and I thought like, whoa, that's great. But it's true. Yeah. I didn't know how to be real and authentic. I just, I, I could share a cool, funny, something funny. I'd heard at another meeting, mm-hmm. you know, I could do that stuff all day long, you know, mm-hmm. cause I, I, I'm good at delivering a line, but, but when it came to being you. real and authentic yeah. and genuine, it was hard and I was scared and it was a, I could hear it in my voice, you know? Yeah. So you know, it's funny, the sponsors, God bless him. You know, he, he could, he kind of nailed me and I, and I, I grasped onto him and, you know, I've shared this actually in a meeting that you guys attend, you know, he relapsed after 15 years, he went back out and it, it devastated me because mm. this man was beyond, he was my lifeguard. He was the man who saved me, you know, and, and that's the power and the, the, the part of the, you know, crazy disease, that confounding thing, you know, that he decided to go back out mm-hmm. and he was out for a number of years. And now I talk to him occasionally. He actually, he actually is in a recovery house now, baffling, cunning, all that stuff when you hear about that, but he saved me. And so, you know, I don't know why the things happen the way they do, but I only have my story. That's all I really got to share with anybody. And I, I, sponsor guys now and I try not to do it right <laughs> I just try to tell them my story yeah and right. what I went through and if I can help them I will but I, I got no corner on this thing I just you know have my own experience and I think it's really important for me to note for me that my story is good enough mm-hmm. you know yeah I want to make it a little bit you know jazzier if I can <laughs> right that's my inclination is to spice it up but um I yeah. gotta remember that yeah. it's it is what it is you know and it's good enough yeah, yeah. we're good I, enough yeah, I never did charter an airplane to complete a jag. Yeah, I think they made that up for the book, you know. <laughs> that, that's in the in the big book. I never shot a TV with a gun. I, I remember someone but you wanted to, that, didn't and you? I was thinking, wow, I wish I'd I had shot that. a TV with a gun. And good. the and the guy who had done that was going, No, you don't. You mm-hmm. don't. So it's like don't be don't try to be clever with my story. It was not funny. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm curious about. It's interesting to me when I got sober. I'm a painter. I'm an artist, and it was two years before I became comfortable painting again. Mm-hmm. Uh, my creativity was all tied up in my alcoholism, and I had a devil of a time yeah. untangling that because. I mean, well, it's all part of like, who, who am I? Yeah. Who is Dom? And what part of it is, what part of it's drinking? What part of it's not drinking? What part of, do I really want to do it? Do I really want to paint pictures? 
you know, what am I supposed to do? I had a devil of a time yeah. sorting it out. Did you have problems? Yeah, Don, that's that's great. I mean, I, I did. Uh, and I think what it was was, you know, I was more enamored with the life of an entertainer and all that came with it and sort of like, you know, um, that we were talking about earlier, just all being about me and people talking about me that when I did get sober and I was out in Los Angeles and I was fortunate, I, when I got back out there, I'd been gone for three, four years. I got my agent back very quickly and I was working on the show actually as a stand-in, which I had never done before because I needed a job, you know. Mm -hmm. But while I was doing the stand-in work, I went out on auditions and I quickly started working again. And I remember every time I got a job, I was so grateful to God. Thank you. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. because That's what I thought I was drinking over was I'm supposed to be in Los Angeles pursuing my passion as an actor but it quickly became clear after about a year and a half that um you know that that business as you can imagine you know you go on maybe 125 auditions in a year if you get 10 jobs that's not a great batting average and and those jobs may be a day's work or maybe a couple of three four days or a week it just wasn't at all fulfilling and and that whole idea of depending on somebody else to make a decision about whether or not you know you can say that line the way they want it it just mm -hmm. there was a, a beyond power powerlessness in that industry that makes for very neurotic people. And so I thought it wasn't a healthy place for me. You can imagine how many people are in recovery out there, by the way, mm -hmm. that are in the industry. You go into meetings and you go like, whoa, hello. You know, you're sitting next to, you can imagine it. Mm -hmm. And it really was very much like that, which was in many ways like, ah, oh, comforting. Cause I thought, yeah, that's neat. Sure. You know, but at the same time I thought, mm, God, this is not a good for me, anyway, was not a good, you know, choice for a career. It just was. It wears on you. You know, mm -hmm. you're always waiting for somebody else to make a decision whether or not you work. And it just got. It just, you know, wore me down. So, but, but my my love and my passion was always stage and theater. So I, when I did come back, my very first year back, I did two shows. Um, one at the Carolina Theater, and I did a show down at the Barn Dinner Theater. But I loved it, you know, and being sober and performing was was really pretty cool. But I did kind of lose my my passion for it. And I mm -hmm. did a little some directing. I directed uh, children's theater in town and I, I like working with kids. I had mm -hmm. kids that were in a, a school that didn't have a theater program. So I kind of helped them build a, a theater program there. And that was cool. But yeah, I mean, I, um, I, I don't have that need anymore to perform like I did mm -hmm. for many, many years. I, you know, I, I had a great love and passion for it. I could take it or leave it now, and maybe that'll change, because it mm -hmm. is something I can always kind of do. Um, it was different. It was, being sober and being a performer is completely different than it was like before, because I was into the whole thing, the drama. Well, yeah, I can imagine that ego plays a very Sh large part yeah. <laughs> yes, of, yes, of that, and then trying to be authentic. And what are my real motives for doing it? I mean, yeah. that's what my problem was with painting. Was an element of it was what are my motives? Yeah, yeah. You know, am I doing it just to make myself look good, or is there some creative thing that I really need to do? I had to discover that. I had yeah. to discover what was real. Yep, that's exactly though. That's exactly it. I, I, I got to say though. You know, we're, we're in a pretty cool community here in Greensboro where there's a lot of opportunities. You know, you're not making a living as an actor, but there's lots of theater in town. And mm -hmm. if you want to do that, it's here, you know, and for that, I'm grateful. But for me personally, it just wasn't um, wasn't a burning desire anymore. And I don't know why that candle went out, but I think it, it had a lot to do with what we were talking about. I, I was looking at my intentions and what's what am I really trying to do here? And it, it wasn't healthy for me to want to get 
constantly get that adulation because I know that's what really helped propel me into my alcoholism for years. Well, that was the way you were making a living. How do you make a living now? I'm in sales, which Mm -hmm. is kind of like acting. (laughs) <laughs> it's true. Yes. But I've been uh, I, I've been working in sales now ever since I got back, and I'm super grateful for the opportunity that I have. Um, and I, I call on merchants and different business owners, and, you know, it's it's pretty flexible, and I got my own little office space. It just has worked out. It's worked uh-huh. out well for me. I'm not crazy about what I do, I don't think, and, you know, uh-huh. but it, it's I've got all these kids in college. i got to get them in and out of college. And then, you know, <laughs> maybe I'll do some theater again once they get out, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> Maybe I'll do things. You have a good voice for it. Well, you know, Don, it's interesting you said that. (laughs) I I think we have a a new voiceover for sponsor schmonser. Oh, you guys got a sponsor. You need a voiceover. Okay. (laughs) Call my agent. (laughs) We need to run one of those ads right now. Yes, we do. Are you tired of talking to your sponsor, a real person who doesn't understand you? Or even worse, understands you too well? Do you want to live in a virtual reality where you can seem sober without all the discomfort of looking at your behavior? The Sponsor Sponsor Company has the answer. OK Goober, the virtual sponsor app. OK Goober won't hang up the phone with remarks like, Call me back when you prayed about it. No more accountability. No more rigorous honesty. Just ask OK Goober anything and get vague answers that you can manipulate in your mind any way you choose. OK Goober, should I pick up a start over chip just because I smoked pot? Do you think that's wise? OK Goober, must I break up with my girlfriend just because of my wife? To thine own self be true. OK Goober, do I really have to pay back that asshole? Do you think that's wise? Okay, Goober, should I lie about all my DUIs? To thine own self be true. Okay, Goober will co-sign all your bullshit. And you can feel good about it until your next drink. Download Okay, Goober, the virtual sponsor app today. Do you think that's wise? Sponsor, sponsor, and all its products are not approved by Alcoholics Anonymous, and since they are not real, they probably will not work. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Scott, give me something to one of the steps where actually working the steps changed your life. Wow, dude. Um, You know, I I do that third step daily, um, but... Yeah, it, that changes my life every day because that's how I have to start my day, turning my will and my life over. I'm, I'm working with a guy right now who's having a hard time with that step, you know, and, and it just allows me to revisit it again and reread. You know, we do the 12 and 12, we reread it. He just struggles with it. I will say this. I went And to, that helps you. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't do steps for them necessarily. <laughs> I need to redo them. But, you know, I remember we agnostics in the chapter um, – I went to a meeting out in L.A. that was called We Agnostics, and I didn't know that. It was just, again, from my little phone book. Mm-hmm. I found a meeting, didn't even really pay attention to the name of it. I just saw the time, and it was nearby. And it was a room full of like very scientific kind of you know guys who were very thoughtful and bright. But it was the one of the worst meetings I'd ever been to. I'll be frank. I just remember huh. thinking I didn't get, I didn't feel anything there, and they were all very thoughtful because they were a bunch of agnostic people, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and when you're in LA in a huge place like that, there's a lot of 
a lot of different types of meetings. And that sure. was one that I just, uh, I remember leaving there going like, I feel completely unsatisfied. So I have no problem at least sharing my experience with my spiritual life with other people that are in, in the recovery. But I must say, I've had sponsors who struggle with that step. So it just, you know, I, I don't, but um, it allows me to revisit that. Why. Well, how did you get to that place where you have absolutely no problem with the idea of a higher power? It's kind of, you know, for those of us who have had a spiritual life, and I had one coming into this thing, you know, mm. it wasn't it wasn't difficult for me. Um, you had a spiritual life Prior to getting sober, prior to you getting know, sober. I grew up in, uh, you know, I, my parents were not church going people, but I, I remember being in, involved in young life and I felt, you know, I, by nature, I'm a, kind of a feely, artsy kind of guy who likes to, you know, I like that feeling. And, and there's a part in the 12 and 12 that actually talks about that, about that immature reaction to religion, how sometimes mm-hmm. it gives us a feeling, but I like that feeling. Um, and to me, that that's what I connected to when I was early on, uh, before I got sober, I'm, I, I just had that spiritual connection that I, f- it felt good. And then it kind of matured in recovery. You know, it, it was no longer that just that feel good kumbaya singing a couple of young life songs and everybody loves one another. It turned into something for me and, and it allowed me to really hold on to, um, a, a, in recovery, a, in recovery, a connection with a, a higher power. Uh, if that makes any sense uh-huh. at all. It just it started as a feeling that I used to kind of tap into when I was younger, didn't really have a strong godlike relationship, but in recovery I could take that feeling and and it grew and mm-hmm. and it changed and it morphed into something that works for me today. See, I discounted that. I had that feeling growing up and I had that feeling back when I was drinking, but I would discount it. I've I've shared before the time that I was walking down the railroad tracks when it starts snowing. I got a bottle of wine, started walking down the tracks, looking at the beautiful snow, and I grabbed a stick just spontaneously and wrote, overwhelmed with the beauty of it all, "Hello, God in the snow," and dropped the stick and walked about three paces, and then I turned around, went back, and scrubbed it out. Because I, I didn't want anybody... No to, evidence. No evidence. I didn't want anybody to see that I wrote that. So I was I discounted it. Yeah. You know, I didn't want to be caught believing in yeah. God and being one of those weak-minded cow brains. Yeah. That's not me. I'm not a moon calf. <laughs> nice. I... To the moon calf. <laughs> that was a nice moon calf. Uh, but, but it's interesting. You didn't have that discounting of the feeling, though. I went out when I, I grew up in the South in Memphis. So uh, that was kind of a Bible belt, buckle of the Bible belt kind mm-hmm. of stuff. I didn't really wasn't a big churchgoer, but I was around that kind of stuff. And I felt OK with it. I didn't embrace it completely. And I remember going out to Los Angeles and I was kind of a I'll be honest, I was kind of a clean cut you know, that's my thing. You know, I was clean cut, went to a boys prep school. And mm-hmm. when I went out to Los Angeles, I remember thinking that was working against me. And that if I wanted to work, I had to have a story. So I remember clearly making the decision that I was going to make some bad choices because that was going to create a backstory for me. So <laughs> ah. that I could draw from that as an actor. I remember making that. I need, I need some difficulty in yes, my life. Because I grew up very yeah. provincially and very, everything was, you know, yeah. that was not a track. Nothing's yeah. interesting about that. So I remember making choices to do things, you know, that I wouldn't have otherwise done. 
and thinking that was cool, that this was my walkabout. This was my, you know... Rumspringer. Yes! <laughs> I was creating a backstory for myself so I could pull from it as an artist. But, you know, I... <laughs> but, uh, and I think that's why I... Because I wasn't a drug user growing up, and I, I thought that would be a good idea to start using drugs a little bit. That would yeah. give me some stuff, right? Yeah, sure. And then, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, and so idea. that's... And then it got out of control. And then I cross, you know, we talk about the... the, the I, I'm only pretending to be an addict. Yes, because I need something to pull from. So, And, and we talk about that, that line you draw on the sand, and then you step over it. And I started doing that a lot. You know, I will never do... Well, but, you know, I'm an actor. I can try that. And I would step over that line repeatedly. And then the moral compass just was broken. And I was doing stuff that... Then the shame, you know, right. that funny thing called shame takes over. And I, I just didn't like me there for a long time. I mean, there was a lot of... Then you got to drink at that. Yeah, got to drink at the feeling of not... Yeah, exactly. So, spiraled. Spiraled. Moo. That cow back. (laughs) That cow is back. The thing you got to watch out for around here is the owl. I know. (laughs) Duck! I mean, owl! (laughs) Really high-end special (laughs) It's time for our old-timers question. Who you calling an old timer? You, you old fart. I mean, uh, you. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day at a time. Shiny. You can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. We have a question. This is from Lily in Atlanta. And Lily asks, am I able to have fun sober? Such a simple question. Such a simple question, and a really good question. Mm-hmm. I felt like that there was going to be no more fun. That was one of the problems with quitting drinking. It's like, but what about all the fun? And you know, I got I got into AA, and I had people tell me, "Describe your drinking." <laughs> it was like, well. I, it's fun. It, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, in the morning, it's fun as like white hot beads of sweat break out spontaneously all over my forehead and you, you start shaking and waves of nausea cascade. It's, you know, times, you're so eloquently huh? descriptive. Yeah. It's good time drinking. Yeah. It was not fun. It was not. It had quit being fun, but the persistence of the idea that it's fun—it is incredible how long that stays with us. And I certainly had it. I felt like my. Mm-hmm. But I remember getting. I've been sober about three months, and I was in the shower, and I started singing, and I was going, "What am?" What am I doing? I was like, <laughs> what the hell? I was like, I hadn't sung in the shower uh, in two years. Yeah. I had quit. It's something that I've always done. I've always spontaneously sung, and I, I had quit doing it. It was coming back. Ah, it's like a wave of joy instead of nausea. Ex- yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, whoa, I want to sing. Yeah. I know, I know. I remember in those moments. The moon and the June and the spring. <laughs> I want to sing. That's what happens. It's the weirdest darn thing. I remember that same stuff. You know, I, oh, um, 
you were talking about the beads of sweat. I can go back to that pretty quickly. But the joy, there's moments of early sobriety where there's just sheer joy and gratitude and turns into singing. Yeah. There was, <laughs> remember that Harry, Henry, no, Manjone song? Da, 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 da. So we would always put lyrics to that, you know, like, it's a day, it's beautiful day. Just because we were happy. Oh my God, what's off the rails? But I do identify with the feelings of joy. Sam, tell us about <laughs> that the joyful kind of, moment in your life. That, well, that song. <laughs> what was song, his name? Mangione? Chuck, Chuck, Chuck Mangione. Mangione. I, that's, the, that's the kind of song that I would look at my friend and we would smile benevolently at each other, making fun of the fact that it was so <laughs> sappy. <laughs> Frankie. <laughs> oh, you can have fun out there, see? We're having fun right now. <laughs> it's <laughs> the, true. There's a lot. There's an enormous amount of fun that happens spontaneously when I was became free of the beast of alcohol that had me by the throat. It controlled everything about me. And the longer I was sober, in the first few months of sobriety, I began to see how much I was ruled mm-hmm. by alcohol. I was ruled by my addiction. And it took everything. It took my creativity, and it took all the fun out of life, though I didn't see it that way at the time. But I was a really bleak, dark person in my thinking. I was a cynic, and I felt like the world was going to blow up, and all the people in it were had bad motives. And once I got sober... I began to have a more positive outlook on life, and I saw that my cynicism was a protection against ever being disappointed. Yeah. I mean, I might be wrong, but I won't be disappointed yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'm already expecting the worst. Yes. I, I lived in that place too. <laughs> that's great. If, if I expect the worst, then whatever yeah. happens is going to be better. But right. it, <laughs> that's exactly what cynicism is. True. That's the definition. <laughs> but it's not a happy life no it's not a happy way to live and the truth is that once i got sober there was a great deal of joy in life so but i couldn't see it from the other side i imagined Mm -hmm. okay i'm gonna be sober it's gonna be one long gray day but i'm gonna do it because i'm a martyr Mm -hmm. and i was selling myself short yeah Mm -hmm. yeah what about you sam you know, I, I've i heard it so well put that I thought that my life um, in sobriety was going to be a consolation prize, mm-hmm. and instead it's the grand prize. You know, I got yeah. jackpot. Yeah. The the thing that, that if I look at this, if I look at what I do for fun, what I consider just my day-to-day living that's fun today, from the perspective back when I was a, a drinking and, and drugging, I would say it's lame. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because that's how I was wired. And the rewiring that's happened is what I'm doing is not lame. It gives me joy. And so frankly, even if it is lame, I'm getting a great deal of joy yeah. out of it. And that's yeah. really all I damn want. Yeah. But the cool thing is, is I get to do even more than that. Yeah, you know, my day-to-day life is pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, I have my ups and my downs, but on the whole, it's it's definitely doing pretty well. 
And then I get to go on these trips. I, you know, I love to travel in sobriety. Uh, and I have got a, a trip planned for next weekend that uh, is going to be going to, spit to, a, to a young people in AA conference. God, that'll be nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, way cool fun nuts. It'll be fun. I, I get to do these things today. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And that's just one of the things that I get to do. I did not let people in when I was a drunk. And today I do. My preference, you know, I'm still not a big, large crowd. I, I still am uncomfortable at the end of the meeting, at a large meeting, when it's the the party then. Chat. You know, it's the cocktail, <laughs> cocktail party, chit-chat party. But get me in the small group situation, you know, a handful of people mm-hmm. or one-on-one. And I love those things. I never liked that. But the kicker is, I only really like it with people in recovery. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I think that the I thought I was seeking for fun, and what instead I found that I get from recovery is a life that has meaning. That's rewarding, and that's mm. what is really valuable in life. Rewarding, because to live a life that is useful and. I find that in helping other people, when I'm connected to other people and I'm able to be of service and be able to help someone who needs help, and mm-hmm. I can genuinely be there and show up, that then I'm happy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not fun necessarily, but it's a, a life that's rewarding. I think that's a fantastic way of putting that. Yeah. It's the real gold. Yeah. That we mine. In this program. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, thanks for being here. Hey, guys. Enjoyed it. I really did. So glad you joined us, Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services.